0: It's the messiah community radio talk show this is michael james lauren your host we have one of the notables in the world of literary management his name is peter ruby he specializes in a broad range of high quality fiction and nonfiction, and he has a book that is uh, well known it's called how to tell a story the secrets of writing captivating tales he joins us welcome
1: thank you uh, i'm delighted to be here
0: And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied OrLex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from OrLex Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Auralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Now it says that nonfiction... Narrative nonfiction, popular science, spirituality, history, biography, pop culture. This is all on your website. Business, technology, parenting, health, self-help, music, and food. And it says you're a sucker. This was, says on your website, for outstanding writing. And uh, there's much more, including a former BBC radio and Fleet Street journalist. You've done a lot. And so, uh, you know, we want to find out, of course, about you and the wonderful uh, title here, uh, how to tell a story, which seems very, people are, inter- are you surprised how interested people are, businesses alike, in telling stories?
1: Well, I, I think storytelling is a fundamental aspect of who we are as human beings. I mean, I think you, you, in, in, in the very generic sense, what stories do is help us make sense of who we are and where we are and what's going on around us.
0: And that's very true. But you seem to know where people are in the story is what is interesting about reading your book. I'm, I know that we're all living this thing called life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of times we don't know where we are in the story. You kind of break it down. So it's not just about storytelling. It's, it seems about real life where there has to be an equal amount of tension. There has to be a plot. Um, you know, it's, uh, to me, it just echoed and mirrored life itself. And so it seems like you have this eye, I guess, like you're with the Simon Cowell of, uh,
1: Oh, a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I here's the thing I think that's very interesting. You know, life is this endless stream, it, it but to make sense of it, we need to see, uh, see it in pieces, in sections, um, and a lot of that I think focuses around uh, understanding. Watershed moments that happen in our lives, uh, recognizing those moments. Um, and most of the time, in retrospect, uh, we can go back and we can say, oh, yes, yeah, so that was the moment when I understood that, or I decided to do this, or whatever these things happen to be. And so, to a degree, that would correspond. To the beginning of, of a particular kind of story that you might want to tell. Um, and then that stories are really about people who are, are uh, have goals they want to achieve. And in great storytelling, um, the whole purpose is to have somebody say, Yeah, listen, I want to go over there and do that. And everybody that they come across says, Well, no, you can't do that. And so the story is then about how one finds a way to achieve the thing that you really felt you wanted to achieve.
0: You mentioned that in your book. It's not about the story itself, but about the story to whom it's happening to.
1: Yes. Well, that's exactly right. There is a sense um, that stories are about a series of events, but they're really not. They are about how people transform themselves from one moment in time to down the road, how they grow, Uh, that's what really intrigues us.
0: Now, uh, let's let's start first, before we get into it all, um, w- when it comes to the, <laughs> the kind of characters that you have to deal with, I mean, you have to be so polite, because everyone thinks, okay, in a creative endeavor like writing, that they have talent, okay, hence the Simon Cowell type of, you know, association, right. just kidding on that, but, uh, so how difficult is it? I mean, people share, uh, hey, Peter, you know, I got the story, and, uh, you know, it's about my aunt, and she, uh, you know, I mean, it would... You're saying there's a real disconnect between what people, they don't realize really what makes or constitutes a good story. Can you tell us what a good story is all about? Because you get all these submissions and uh, you can share from the sublime to the ridiculous. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, storytelling is certainly um, at one level an art that anybody can learn if you want to go and study it. And, And storytelling, like any other art form, creative form, uh, it, you know, requires attention to how it's been create, how how it's been evolved and the techniques that one looks for. But the truth is that some people are naturally more immediately able to do it than others. Um, and, and you know, if you're in a gathering, uh, you know, a small party or a whatever, you know, a group of people having a social time, you'll find that there is somebody who can tell you how they washed, did the laundry yesterday. And it's it, hilarious. It's, it's, you know, you want to spend time listening to what <laughs> the person has to say. And then the other end of the room, there's somebody that tells you how they kind of tried to labor up Mount Everest in this terrible thing. And, and all you want to do is get away from them so it 's not so much that it 's about what you 're saying as how you're saying it, and that is not to suggest that form is more important than content, but storytelling does need a kind of structure you know it is it, you know it is an artificial form, and I think the moment you accept that it is an artificial form um, where you 're taking something and being able to sort of be beginning, middle, and end it. Uh, you know, life is not really like that. But we can massage it so that for the sake of achieving something, y- you give it a, a certain artificial form, and it's understanding that and coming to terms with that that I think, you know, t- certainly taking stories from real life is uh, is the point. So that, you know, I mean-
0: I, I agree with that, but, you know, people who are into storytelling and uh, writing, someone has to tell them what it's all about. And of course, I recommend your book, How to Tell a Story, The Secrets of Writing Captivating Tales, because, you know, thinking you're you're on your way and uh, it's not of interest to anybody, and, and hence... The world we live in, right? We all think we're a little maybe more interesting than we are. But when you learn the 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 secrets to it all, you know, have you seen people that put stuff out there that you were, you know, you get a query letter and this is just way out there. You give them a couple of pieces of advice, and all of a sudden they're uh, they're flourishing. Have you ever been shocked by that?
1: Oh well, not shocked by it, but you know, very pleasantly surprised. Um, Yes, uh, I mean to a degree, everybody that's <clears throat> ever become a professional storyteller, which in a sense is what I think we're talking about here, at the level that we're talking, uh, started by figuring it out themselves. Um, whether you're a painter or whether you're a musician or whatever it is, you know, you, the first thing that you bring to the table is a determination to figure it out. Um The thing that becomes in the way that I think one has to start to be conscious of is that the ego uh, is something that one has to try and put aside, at least for a while, um, in the sense that I know how to do this. You know if you, you know, anybody can take two pieces of wood and connect them by nails or by screws or by whatever means you've either seen or figured out but there's an enormous difference between being able to build a small little bookcase from three pieces of wood and becoming, you know, a master carpenter or a cabinet maker. But the truth is that those craftsmen began exactly in the same place that that you are beginning now in terms of taking those pieces of wood and trying to put them together mm-hmm. in an elegant and, you know, structurally sound way. And so storytelling is not radically different from that in that regard.
0: So what, are, what are some of the most important elements that you would recommend when, you know, you put a story, people want to put order to it all. And, uh, and, and, and pardon parcel, how did you get so good at this?
1: Ah, uh, well, I mean, it's very kind of thinking I am good at it. I mean, I, I'm forever wondering, you know, what's coming. next. The, the more you do, the more you begin to be aware of what you don't know. Um, and what you thought you knew, uh, becomes something that you think, well, how could I be so dogmatic? Um, but that aside, um, I think, uh, you know, one looks at, um, these kinds of things and those
0: those are submissions coming in right now. Those are exactly
1: right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I look, you know, you look at, um, things and and you have to go beyond the surface the the challenge to storytelling is not just to link events together it is to give them meaning and so telling a story does not is not necessarily um taking a sequence of events and chronologically connecting them you know you have a beginning and you have an ending but if you're talking about memoir as a good example of the kinds of things that we're talking about now, which is the, you know, the, the story derived from one's life the, you know, what does that mean? And beyond what the memoir itself is telling you in terms of the things awful or great that happened to you, you know, people are really not interested explicitly in what happened to you. They are interested in being able to connect in their own way, to the things that you, you are relating. Um, you were very hungry. You went through this experience. Uh, you, you found meaning in in disaster. Um, you found you know richness in in, in charity and, and those you know, those kinds of things. So that the detail of the story becomes the spine with which you tell us about this experience that we can all connect to. So the mistake I think that a lot of people who begin uh, is that you know what happened to you is fascinating, uh, and many people, mainly friends, will say, "Wow, you should write this. It's such a fascinating thing," and that's true. But to take it to that next level, which is where you know professional storytelling really starts, is to understand the meaning of what it is and and to say this is really about this particular thing. Um, and then the story starts to uh, uh, illuminate that. And I think that's, you know, if I had to find one thing in terms of what you've asked me, I would say that's the thing that, that people really need to to talk about.
0: Um, so how dangerous are you uh, when it comes to movie trailers, when you're sitting there with the popcorn and you, and you hear the movie trailer and you're, you'll say to the person... It's never going to make it <laughs> yeah, because right there, that's the query letter, right? That's, that's the, that's the trailer. And you can tell, can you tell immediately if a, if a movie is going to be a hit or a television show is going to be a hit based on the, just a little preview or.
1: Really? But with the query letter is slightly different. Um, but you know, to, to the degree, and it's interesting because I've never actually tried to put those two things together that there is actually an element to that, that I think is very, uh, Perceptive of you, which is that you know, if you think about your own experiences, and, and that's the thing that I think we need to keep thinking about, rather than you know, me handing down, you know, the the law having come back down from the mountain. This is how it's got to be done. <laughs> um, it, it's really about connecting to what is it about. But now books and, and stories. And I should say that interrupt by saying there is an assumption here, and the assumption that i 'm making is that people read a lot uh they are captivated by books um, they are determined to 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 learn how to do this you know you have to be in a certain frame of mind um, there's a, a i 'll tell you a very very sh- quick Zen story which I think kind of sums that up which cool. is a, a, a guy who um was a violin. Uh, player who gets the opportunity to audition for a great maestro of the violin. And he goes along to the audition and he plays for him. And the maestro, somewhat dismissively, says, Not enough fire. And the guy is devastated. Um, it's like his dreams are shattered. And so he becomes a quite successful businessman. And many years later, he uh, gets the opportunity to go to Carnegie Hall and see the maestro perform and, and gets an opportunity to go backstage. And he says, I'm sure you don't remember me, but, you know, I once played for you. And you said to me something that's kind of haunted me a little bit, which is, you know, not enough fire. And what did you mean by that? And the maestro looks at him and somewhat dismissively yet again says, well, I always say that to everybody. And the guy is incensed and he says, my God, I could have been a great player, but you stopped me from doing this if it wasn't for you. And the maestro said, no, not really. If you'd wanted to do it, you'd have done it whatever I had to say. And I think storytelling and, and, and writing is very much that way. You have to be determined to do this and determined to undergo the apprenticeship. Um, however, uh, you know, what's the word I'm trying to look for? You know, it doesn't have to be informal that apprenticeship may be. Um... So that, you know, the kinds of things that we're talking about now, you know, people have written endlessly about how to structure things. And that's really what we're talking about. We, we're getting sliding into technique um, as to, you know, what is the most effective way of putting your story together? But the heart of it is always, as I was saying, what is your story about? You know, why would your experience in this thing Make me want to spend time and money reading it, and so when you're looking at a query letter or you're you know watching this um, trailer, one of the things that I think one is doing is you're seeing a sample in some way of not just what is going on on the screen, but of the content. You know, so if you're looking at something and all they emphasise is the explosions and you know flying through the air and all these things, then that may appeal to you. But for many, people will say, well, okay, what's the story? You know, is it just a series of things that are going on um, that are somewhat disconnected uh, and have no real meaning? You know, can you actually watch that film and remember what it is you saw the day after you saw it? And the same is true of query letters. Query letters are a representation of how that particular person is able to write down on the page using you know, the basic tools of their trade, which are words, um, you know, if you don't know how to use words properly, uh, you know, that it makes it very hard for me to seriously work with that
0: person. Yeah, You mentioned that in your book, that uh, that's kind of the wall of the writer. Oh, boy, can't the, you know, writing have its own merit? Why do I have to put a query letter together? And you say, hey, you know, if you can't organize it all, in the smallest way, almost like, you know, if you will, a thesis, then then how are you going to convince other people in the long haul when you're writing a book? So it's very important that you mention, as far as uh, organizing thoughts, it's amazing that people who like to write don't like to write a query letter.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's interesting that people that like to write enjoy the act of writing, and that's fine. Uh, you know, that's the first place that you really want to be. But if you want to work... Professionally um, or semi-professionally, depending on how successful you are, then I think you need to start thinking about the fact that that really what I'm doing when I'm looking at a query letter is the mind of the writer. You know, what is the you know? I know in, in instantly when a real, you know, and somewhat accomplished if not published yet writer uh, writes to me in a query letter. Because I know just from the way that they present their selves and their ideas on the page, this is somebody that thinks about how to put that information down in a way that is designed to attract my attention.
0: Yeah, you mentioned two of them in the book, uh, page 52 and 53. One was, Dear Sir, I recently wrote a novel about a couple of 12-year-old kids who end up killing a woman by accident when they sabotage the off-ramp to a turnpike. One of the kids' father, a mean fellow, ends up going to jail for murder after his son's friend frames him. But now, 21 years later, Dad is getting out of jail and wants revenge. And you're thinking, well, maybe more. It's not really compelling. There's another one, though. And this isn't from the famous director, Michael uh Aronowitz, is it? Or that's that's a separate one. I thought he was a, a direct like a writer for movies.
1: Well, some of these guys do both to be honest.
0: Yeah, do write, do both. Then the other one goes, dear Mr. Ruby, and I'll use like a movie trailer voice. It says, "We never meant to kill her. It was just mischief after all. Two 12-year-old boys passing time on an abandoned construction site and pushing out chests uh to see who would go farther. Kyle Jr was one of the bad reputation and it goes on and says, uh, you know, it's it's it, it's intriguing. It's like you see that they enjoy the plot, and they're they're putting it all in there in that query letter: twists and turns and intrigue, and, and that's what uh, you know captures your attention. So if you could, if you could just kind of like, uh, you know, how they have like that show car talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think could just. If you could open up the hood, right, of a rider, okay, open up the hood of a, of a good rider, like a bad car and a good car. So what's under the hood of a good rider and uh, and a bad rider?
1: That's a really, uh, thank you for these really easy questions, Michael. I mean, it's, <laughs> let's look at those two examples for a second. One is essentially giving you a sequence of events. You remember we've been talking up to now about, you know, what, what makes it good? I've got the story and these things happen to me and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's not always the most interesting approach because the sequence of events in and of themselves may or may not be compelling. Yeah, I went into space and they found me and, you know, and I got lost and I was floating for hours. And it's, it's actually very difficult for me <laughs> to do <laughs> because I've so trained myself into thinking about that. Um, but the point of the two examples is that one is told from a character's perspective. So that, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about yet that makes stories, I think, uh, compelling is the ability of the reader to form an emotional connection as soon as possible with the character that they're reading. hmm And so when you take those two examples, and I, I, alas, don't have the book in front of me, so I can't quote back from it accurately. One is saying, you know, um, we were two boys and we did this. And and it's a very withdrawn, very objective, you know, sort of journalistic way of telling the story, which has its place. Um, Certainly if you're reciting a sequence of facts, if you read any newspaper, certainly any decent newspaper, you'll find that they do that. Um, The second example is actually, from a journalistic point of view, began with uh, a thing called New Journalism, George Plimpton, uh, Tom Wolfe, those guys uh, where they injected themselves into the piece and started to tell you about um, their experience going through this event. Um, but there's an immediate emotional connection to that character. We never meant to kill her. We never meant to do this. Immediately, as a as a reader, it's like, oh, hang on a second. There's there are there are layers here of this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Emotional layers here. Now there's guilt. There's remorse. There's you know the admission that you did something terrible, uh, and it's all in one sentence. Hmm. You know, so you order, and you don't think these things, you know, um, on a conscious level, but you respond to it unconsciously uh, in a way that, well, what happens next? Who is this person? I, you know, th- these are the things that, that, you know, the first doesn't really compel me to read further. Yeah, if I want to know how the story ends, absolutely. The second one is far more likely to compel me. Uh, because I'm starting to meet somebody new, and I'm starting to form a relationship with them, and I'm, uh, hmm. I kind of want to know who they are and what happened. And you know, it just sounds like a decent person. Anybody that that can stand up and say, I did something awful and I'm really sorry about it. And how, right. you know, I mean, it's very easy to be. To, to condemn somebody like that.
0: That's why they, it works in therapy, right? Someone stands up if it's group therapy and they say, uh, uh, you know, I did something other people all of a sudden can relate to. It, it actually helps the, the therapeutic process because of the bonding.
1: We've all been there. And, yeah. and so, you know, one of the great things, you
0: were, you were there too in that group. I'm just I, kidding. <laughs>
1: I've, been in, I've, been in, I've been in several. Um, <laughs> Um, and, and, well, I mean, I'm a writer, among yeah. many other things, so yeah. I'm in a permanent group, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing funnier than hanging out with a bunch of writers. I mean, right. Right, publishing in general is filled with some incredibly smart and very witty people. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, the one thing I think as an aside to the conversation that we're having now, one thing I think that's really important Uh, for people that are genuinely interested in getting published should realize is um, that although we turn down probably 95%, maybe 98% these days because it's a shrinking industry to a degree, um, the truth is we're not doing it because we're mean, horrible, nasty people. We're doing it because we're looking for something that has a certain level of of accomplishment to it. Mm -hmm. And so if you can acquire that accomplishment through, you know, like being a musician, you you don't just get up there and play, you know, Stravinsky or Beethoven or whatever it happens to be. You know, you have to learn your scales. You have to learn your harmony. You have to learn, you know, the mastery of your instruments to a degree. You know, if you're an athlete, you have to go and learn to stretch this and get this height and, hold your breath and swim this. You know, there are these techniques that you need to, to, to master in order to get to levels um, of, of accomplishment within whatever uh, discipline it is you're interested in, and writing is no different from that. But then you're in, so the point I was trying to make was that with the three or the five, you know, if you've got to that point, even if it's in a rudimentary way, then you're not in competition with 95% of the people you're in competition with 5% of the people mm. you know we are looking desperately for people that we can take on and do work with the truth is that very few people in our estimation reach that but there are lots of people in the industry and everybody has their own definition of what they think is is working you know what appeals to them so that once you've reached that rudimentary stage of accomplishment in terms of technique and ability to put the words down, you just start looking for that person that will take you, you know, by the arm and say, come with me, kid, and I'll help you if you will listen to me over that line to the goal that you're looking for.
0: Yeah, it must be different for you. I mean, in this world of social media, we're talking about stories and where they're going to come from and things that go viral. Are you surprised? as anybody that all of a sudden on YouTube, some a cat and a, uh, I don't know, a lighter? No, I don't know. <laughs> Something, anything. I shouldn't say that. I have no idea why I just said that. But, you know, but you see things uh, on social media that go viral. And there's obviously a story there that you, sometimes you just would never expect. To to know that there was a story and, and people try to capture that you know companies businesses can well, they tell the story and uh, it, it's amazing when it, that word viral I'm sure it is for you too
1: well you know what captures the public interest has always been fascinating I mean and, and really defies any ability to um, to kind of reproduce it in the in the same way that you know I'll I'll teach you how to make a writer bestseller is one book is really good. Why is this other book suddenly exploding? And, the, and Nobody can really tell you what it is. Uh, they they just touch the moment. I mean, I think you can go back to, uh, I don't know, go way back to Frank Sinatra and why, you know, a very young Frank Sinatra was suddenly, you know, girls were screaming and, and fainting and, and he became – now, Frank was a, a, one of the great singers probably the 20th century – but nevertheless, where he started, Elvis was the same thing, and the Beatles. Um, and then you can go through to, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, I'm of a certain age now, where I think during the 80s, I think it was maybe, the early 90s, I forget, there was a, a, a an advert for a hamburger. I forget which one it was. Now, when maybe not. Where. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? You see, you remember it. <laughs> but you know that is an example of viral. So, does social media has is this thing with social media that different? No, uh, it's perhaps more. Um, th- it happens more often now because we have the tools to allow it to. But really, you know, it's. It, Where's the beef is, is, is an example. You know, what's the story there? I, I'm not sure, but it resonated. Um,
0: yeah, that, was, that was a good commercial too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was it. It, it, it resonated in a way that, that worked with people. They're, they're, it's very interesting. Do you remember the Coca-Cola advert? I mean, I'm sorry I'm bringing in advertising.
0: That's topics. okay. Are we going to Ray Charles? Hey, or hey, Pepsi. No, that's, Coca, that's Coca-Cola. Yeah, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson.
1: Well, yeah, I'd like to teach the world to sing.
0: Oh yeah, okay, I know that.
1: Now that, you know, was a viral thing. Now it was designed to a degree to be viral, and it is coke and they had a huge amount of money behind it, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth was that it did develop a life of itself to a large degree. Um, And so, you know, that's reflective of its moment. Uh, You know, there are many of us that would think, well, it would be great if somebody could produce something like that uh, now. And the couple of times they've tried to do that have really backfired.
0: They really have. I'm thinking of Kendall Jenner and something. Uh, yes, that exactly tried, right. You end up offending a whole bunch of people. I don't know why that is. Before, that's supposed to bring people together. In this case, it, it divides us.
1: I think in some ways, and I'm not commenting one way or the other, but I think some of the criticism was that it seemed uh, very contrived uh, in order to sell a product, whereas the Coke thing just seemed to capture a moment because of the ubiquitousness of the product. And, And that's a very, very weak defense, but it just seemed to fit the moment in a way that the Kendall Jenner, I think somebody else did it. I can't remember who it was now.
0: Like Madonna, uh, maybe.
1: I, I think, you know, these things tend to spring naturally from the tenor of the times, whatever they happen to be. Um, it's the Civil rights march movement, you know, we shall overcome was something that it just connected in a way um, that, uh, was honest in terms of its uh, uh, ability to connect to the emotions of the time.
0: We have the Me Too movement. Are you getting a lot of books for that? <laughs> You're getting a lot well, of submissions for that. A,
1: not a lot of books about that. But the tr- <laughs> the thing is that the 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 movement itself is you uh, see this is an interesting example of what we're talking about. the The movement itself represents something else. And that, and, and that represents, you know, whether one agrees with it or not, that represents uh, a, a genuine movement within the women's movement um, to kind of take us to really what might be called the third wave. You know, the first wave was back at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, the second wave was thought of as, you know, in the 1960s and, you know, the women's movement um, and how it took off from the 50s. And now we're having that kind of third movement where finally, you know, women are finally standing up and they're coming forward and they're telling their stories and they're confronting men in particular with behavior that, you know, and and attitudes that, you know, we've been raised up with and we now have to stop and question. Being the father of a 15-year-old boy, uh, he is growing up into a world where he has to be more aware and more conscious of things than, you know, even if you grew up in the 1980s as a teenager. Um, And so, you know, this is not a bad thing to make us as a society overall more conscious of others and, you know, how they think and feel. And so the Me Too movement to a degree, I believe, is, is echoing that movement forward. And so books are specifically starting to echo that. But at the same time, you have to, it's a very sophisticated thing and you can't be heavy handed with it.
0: We're with famed literary agent and CEO of Fine Print Literary Management. Peter Ruby is our special guest. The book, How to Tell a Story, The Secrets of Writing Captivating Tales. And since you're such an interesting person and you know the tenets, if you will, of a good story, are you very critical when it comes to life around you? I mean, do you see life as as stories in the same critical eye that you are as a a literary? Yeah,
1: that's a really interesting question. And I've never thought terribly consciously about doing that, but I think the thing that's, that's interesting, um I can relate back to what we were just talking about in a way, without getting too specific or too into something, is this whole idea of, of um, you know, he said something, she said something, and, and, you know, one tries to be fair, one tries to, you know, be reasonable about all kinds of things that others could get crazy about, but that is actually the heart of drama. Drama doesn't... You know, drama isn't interested in, in balanced and fair in an overtly obvious way. It is looking at how do people resolve issues? You know, oh my God, there's a train coming down the track and my son is, you know, caught with his foot in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, the railway track light, And if I save him... The train is going to crash, and all those people on the train are going to die. So now I have to make a choice between: do I save my child, or do I save, you know, tens of hundreds of people, you know, on a train? Those that is why we would read that story to see why that is resolved. What is the resolution of that? Now, you know, going back now to your question about looking at the world in terms of stories, I think we all tell stories. I mean, to the degree that. Um, we are trying to create narratives for ourselves. And I think one of the things that happens is that narratives tend to be put together by people who are trying to achieve a certain objective. And those narratives can be, can strike us as, as fair and honest, or they can seem contrived and clearly out to kind of bamboozle us or hide something. And I think, you know, it's not about me in particular, but I think we all do this. Um, and so being aware of how storytelling impacts our lives is is really related to our ability to listen to somebody tell us something. Uh, you know, the, the classic example, log cabin candidates, when it comes to presidential elections and that kinds of stuff, creating a certain... You know, persona. Uh, and we're constantly saying, yes, that fits us. Yes, we like that kind of person because they do this, that, or the other. Um, or that strikes us as false. You know, he's just telling me the story in this way because he thinks I'm going to work with or she thinks I'm mm. going to connect with her. So, you know, we
0: You'll all get that a lot <laughs> where people try to, you know, when they want to rub up to you and get in order to, for you to print their story.
1: Hey, Michael, I got a great story. You know, put me on the radio because, you know, I can do blah, blah, blah. You know, and suddenly, <laughs> you know, they're, they're telling you a story. But that story is, is very shaped in order to achieve a goal. So.
0: And I've had people on the program that actually it seemed like it was a good story. You know, the book was amazing. And then you get them to t- talk about their actual story, and I've been disappointed. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, you wrote the book, and they they somehow – don't tell it in a, it was more interesting when you read it. And it was this your book? Sometimes I wonder when, uh, well, lastly, I want to, you know, mention, of course, our audience should know that uh, for like 12 years, uh, was it? No, 12 hours a day you would practice. Uh, but how long were you a professional jazz musician? You did that for a while in New York City. Is that right? In, in London? I,
1: well, I still kind of do it. I mean, uh, I, I became a musician when I was in my late teens, early 20s. I mean, I studied privately, uh, but I played in Europe and uh, in London in particular. Um, And when I came to America, I actually came to America originally having worked as a musician on a cruise ship. And then I ended up uh, coming to New York to study with a couple of musicians who I had met in Europe and who I loved and who were interested in teaching me. Um, And then I stopped for a while. Um, partly because a friend of mine uh, at the time had said to me, however good a musician you think you are, you're a much better writer. And I would always pull between the two things. And I really I kind can of. Can I ask
0: if there's any. I was going to ask you, too, I'm, forgive me, if there was any association between the two. Usually you can. I was one. going to
1: say that they are, in the end, what happened was I became finally aware that they are sides, different sides of the same coin. How's that? Uh, And so I look at writing in terms of music, and sometimes I look at music in terms of writing. Um, I have a a friend of mine who's one of the world's great players, and one of the things he talks about that I have heard other musicians say as well, improvising musicians in particular, is tell them a story. You know, you are telling a story, and you're doing it in a musical way.
0: Mm, That's true.
1: And if you listen to classical music, you know, composers, uh, they're not just putting random, sometimes it seems like that with the more modern players, but they are you know, playing with uh, structure and emotion in order to take you on a journey. From this point to that point, and then there's a resolution at the end.
0: So the book, How to Tell a Story, The Secrets of Writing Captivating Tales, our special guest, Peter Ruby, who is an acclaimed literary agent, and also he is the CEO of Fine Print Literary Management, and uh, do you want people calling you with the stories or would you say if you're a pro level, uh, give, it, give it a shot, give it a shout out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. By, by all means, you know, send it to me. If not for me, I may forward it to a colleague. So that's totally fine.
0: Well, we appreciate you being on the program, sharing your insights.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It was a delight to be here.
0: Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton Stage Rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com.